You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, it is so lovely to have you back with me today. And I especially want to say thank you to everybody that is submitting questions and whatnot, because it is making it um, not only possible, but kind of easy to get through these last several days. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's fun. I like it because it's, you know, some of them are, are hard questions, but it's fun to be able to dig into stuff and, Sometimes when I start digging, I look into other things and it kind of sparks some other stuff. So it's just, I want to keep this going as much as possible. So if you get in the Facebook group, you see some questions. Also, the the patrons. I have been absolutely horrible at begging people to become patrons. And then I give them something where they can communicate and uh, there's a Discord and all that. And then I make a section or a page or whatever you call it on there, a channel, where you can ask questions. And I, <laughs> I answer everybody else's questions but theirs. I just, I don't ever remember that Discord exists. It's a handy little tool. There's a little thing right there for questions, and it's just like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. But um, go ahead. If you are a patron, throw some questions in there. I'm going to start giving you guys priority um, on questions, and then I will defer when I start running out. So if you have asked questions like a long time ago, because I'm just going to start at the bottom and work my way up, and I didn't answer it and it's still relevant, go ahead and just drop it again. That's fine. But... um, once again, not a whole lot of huge news. The uh, Aaron Rodgers thing keeps hanging in there. I, you know, I think it's just a cash cow. That's the only reason I can think is, you know, it's it's pretty much a done deal. It's more or less resolved. Everybody's got their opinion on it, and you see it just keep flaring back up. And it's a new uh, figurehead, a new person in the the media world that is like, well, I haven't cashed in on it yet, so I'm going to do it. Um, I don't have a different statement. I've spent entire, set that down as I'm spilling coffee everywhere, entire episodes basically saying we don't know what's going to happen. And there's nothing wrong with speculating. It's exactly what I've done. And, I, and, and again, I think it's a valid question. Why haven't they extended them? Is it possible that it's because of this? That, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Or they just haven't done it yet and they're working on it. But, um, you know, I saw somebody wrote an article Two possibilities for the Aaron Rodgers scenario. I didn't read the article, but let me tell you what the two possibilities are. They're either planning to extend him or they're not. I don't think there's a world in which they're planning to cut him. I can say that pretty confidently. And some people are going that far, and I'm not going to take it that far. I don't think they're planning to get rid of him. I think they're leaving that door open. That's my thinking. But it's also possible they are trying to close the door. They just haven't come to terms yet. But those are the two possibilities. They're either trying to close the door and they can't quite come to terms or they're just trying to leave the door open. That's it. And um, again, everybody wants to keep beating a dead horse. But I mean, that's that really is there. And maybe I'm missing it. Sometimes there's a there's a an option that I'm not seeing. But I, I feel like that's fairly obvious um, that that that's kind of just what it is. And, you know, as much as we want to and again, it's some people want to capitalize on it. Other people just want answers. And, you know, so this thing kind of keeps living on. But it just that's that's it, man. I, I you know, not only tired of talking about it, there's literally nothing else to talk about. There's nothing else. 
The only thing I know is there are people saying Aaron Rodgers is definitely gone, and they're wrong. There are people who are saying that Aaron Rodgers is definitely not going to be leaving anytime soon, and they, I'm not saying they're wrong, but, but both of these groups are wrong for thinking that they know that that's the case. We don't know. We can simply analyze it and say that these are the two options and then speculate or guess. I think this is going to happen. I think Rodgers is going to be here for at least three years, possibly five years. All right. Yeah, probably. Maybe. I don't know. He's played flipping fantastic this past year. Why not? I think based on what uh, the Packers are doing with Rodgers thing, they're trying to push him out. And um, as soon as they see Rodgers slip and Jordan steps up, then Jordan's going to take over. All right. Yeah, maybe. Could be. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And, and, and the biggest thing, for the people that are trying to say he's definitely gone, Rodgers is definitely gone, because that's really picking up a lot of steam. And I think I personally have given a lot of ammunition to that. But but remember, I have always stopped short of saying that he's definitely gone, and that's for a very obvious reason. Rodgers won MVP. We don't know if Jordan Love is even a halfway competent backup. The Packers are not going to jump ship on Aaron Rodgers on a whim for a guy that they don't even know can play football. So there's no way that they have 100% made up their mind on moving on. It's possibly they, possible they've come to terms with, you know, we're sticking with Aaron Rodgers, but I don't know. That's it. I'm, I'm saying the same thing five different times, but there you go. It's my final answer on that. So I want to start off with a couple different questions. Um, some of them are, I guess, draft questions anyways, but I also want to get into some draft news and notes and whatnot. So I would like to start off with a question from Brian from Connecticut. He wants a little bit of clarification on our tight end situation, specifically Jace, Josiah, and Daphne. He says, who does PFF like best? I understand they're all different, and Josiah had very limited snaps. Just thought of it when I saw PFF had tight end as a need. There is a second part to the question that I'm just going to cut off from here and then put somewhere else because I haven't gotten to that yet. So I'm just going to stop it there. So let's let's just look at these three guys. So obviously, let's see, Robert Tunyon was not included in this, so I'm assuming that we're, well, I'm just going to include everybody. There's only five tight ends. I just want to give a full picture of the tight ends as, as detailed as I possibly can as far as the statistics and the grades go, just so everybody's clear, because it is kind of a an up-in-the-air sort of a situation. I think a lot of people make a lot of assumptions, or, or I should say have a lot of um, their own opinions. But I don't know if I've ever really just fully gone into it. I've, I've expressed that Tunyon has not been graded out as well as a lot of people think because he has a lot of touchdowns, which is why I, I didn't necessarily think he was going to be, you know, getting uber paid or whatever. But he certainly fits the system, et cetera, et cetera. But that's about the full extent of, of how far I've gone into this. Um, obviously, Robert Tunyon is the number one. Um, Mercedes, so to give you a, a, an idea of how massively different things are. If we look in terms of targets, Dominique Daphne and Josiah DeGuara had two each. That's it. Jay Sternberger and Mercedes Lewis had 15 each. Robert Tunyon had 58. So when we look at Dominique Daphne and Josiah DeGuara, uh, Daphne on those two targets had two receptions for 26 yards and a touchdown. Josiah had one reception for 12 yards. Um, between Jace and Mercedes, uh, again, 15 targets each. Jace had 12 receptions, 114 yards, and a touchdown, which is really not that bad. It's the 15 targets that's the problem. And I think he had a drop in there, which I think people are remembering. I I don't know, because it it was pretty bad, but he had one drop. Mercedes, on those 15 targets, had 10 receptions for 107 yards, three touchdowns, three drops. 
And I, I think the reason I want to s- kind of start highlighting this in particular is Jay Sternberger is um, very much disliked, and Mercedes Lewis is borderline worshipped. Same amount of targets. Jace had more receptions, more yards, two less touchdowns, but also less drops. And I know the conception is that Mercedes Lewis is here because he's a great blocker. Again, I've kind of contested that since before we even brought him over here. But, um, you know, it is what it is. Robert Tunyon on those 58 targets had 52 receptions for 586 yards and 11 touchdowns. Um, One of the interesting things, and I've mentioned about Jace... um, Jace is the most receivery of the group, right? You've got kind of a spectrum between being a receiving tight end and a blocking tight end. If we look at the percentage of times that they were on the field as a receiver, Jace was actually number one with 89% of the time, Robert Tunyon 87.1% of the time, Dominique Daphne 85% of the time, Josiah DeGuara 82.4, Mercedes Lewis 68.6. If you look at their usage in the slot, Number one is actually Robert Tunyon, 37.8% of the time. Number two is Dominique Daphne at 35% of the time. Jace, 27.5. Josiah, 23.5. Mercedes Lewis was used in the slot 2.6% of the time. If you look at how often they're used out wide, and it's interesting how these guys are all different. Dominique Daphne was actually used out wide the most as far as a percentage, 20% of the time. Then Jace, 17.6. Tunyon, only 16.7. Mercedes Lewis, 6.8. So he's used out wide more than in the slot. Same with uh, Jay Sternberger. Well, not more, I guess. Josiah DeGuara was never used out wide, but again, very he was on the field hardly ever. And then finally, in line, Mercedes Lewis, not surprisingly, 90.6% of the time. Jay Sternberger is number two, only 54.9% of the time. Uh, Robert Tunyon, 45.5%. Uh, Dominique, 25%. Josiah DeGuara, 23.5% of the time. Uh, as far as yards after the catch, Josiah DeGuara is number one, but remember he only had one reception, but still 11 yards uh, after the catch per reception. Mercedes Lewis, 5.7. Jace, 5.3. Dominique Daphne, 5.0. Robert Tunyon, 4.1. Yards per route run is actually kind of important because it takes into account how many times you ran a route. Um, Robert Tunyon was number one, 1.58. Daphne, 1.53. Jace, 1.41. Josiah, 0.86. Mercedes, 0.82. So that's kind of right in line with, I guess, what you would expect. You would probably want Jace a little bit higher. But something else to remember that I think a lot of people forget, Robert Tunyon is by far our fastest tight end. I remember looking into that and being kind of shocked because I just I just thought Jace was like the faster tight end and, and Tunyon was sort of the undrafted free agent. You know, he's kind of, eh, whatever. Dude, dude's fast. I don't know what was wrong with him in college that he went so late, but um, he's a blazing fast tight end. Maybe I'm exaggerating a bit, but he's, he's quick. Um, as far as drops, again, Mercedes had three, Jace had one. That's it. Tunyon on all those targets didn't have a single drop. Neither did Dominique or Josiah. As far as contested catches, actually kind of surprising. Um, there were only five time, five passes to any tight end that was considered a contested catch, two of which were to Mercedes. Not surprisingly, he caught both. <laughs> so both of, and, and it's, it, the part of the reason it's funny is, is that, He's probably not great at getting separation, so, um, you know, he, it makes sense why, even though he only had 15 targets, he had the, one of only two guys with contested catches. Josiah, Daphne, and Jace didn't have any, but 100% contested catch rate, way to go, Mercedes. Actually, I want to look at that a little more. I wonder if they have, because these are all, a lot of these are new stats that PFF has added, which get, gets me really excited. I want to see if that's um, something that's happened throughout his career. It looks like they have gone and done this. So 
Uh, last year, 2019, he was one for one, so 100%. Actually, I can look at his entire career, I think. Contested catch percentage. Oh, no. So it's, it's pretty bad after that. He doesn't have hardly any. Only 13 contested catches in his entire career. Um, he's actually 30% because in 2017 in Jacksonville, nine times he threw, he had, he was in a contested catch situation. He only caught one of them. So his career is actually quite terrible, but he's had three the last two years and he's caught all of them. So that's kind of funny. Just big dog, just big dog in it, man. Just embracing the fact that he can't get open anymore. And he's like, eh, just start muscling people out of the way. And then the other thing that is just absolutely hilarious, because again, if you think the least athletic guy or whatever, um, if you were to think missed tackles forced, in other words, you got the ball in your hand, you're marching down the field, and you make somebody miss. Who would be leading that? Probably the, the quicker, more agile guys, right? Jay Sternberger has zero. Dominique Daphne has zero. Josiah DeGuara has zero. Robert Tunyon has zero. Mercedes Lewis, two. <laughs> um, and then passer rating, it's kind of useless. I, I don't really like passer rating, but... Dominique Daphne, 158.3, Tunyon, 148.3, Mercedes, 126.9, Jace, 120.6, and Josiah, 68.8. I also want to look at their depth, but before I go off this page, just looking at their grades overall. So we take everything into account. They're receiving, they're blocking, all that stuff. Um, Josiah DeGuara was the lowest graded at 56.6, Jace, 56.8, Dominique Daphne, 66.6, Mercedes, 67.6, Robert Tunyon, 67.9. So as far as PFF is concerned, they're all just kind of eh. And again, I know that's going to make everybody mad because Tunyon had a billion touchdowns and he should be the, you know, a 90.2 whatever. But again, any stat that is like a single digit or barely double digit stat, I think is, I don't want to say useless, but it just really doesn't paint a very good picture. We're talking about 11 touchdowns out of 734 snaps. It's a great thing, but... Remember, they graded him 734 times. We know 11 of those times he got really good grades. On a two-point scale, he probably got a two, right? (laughs) The problem is we got to figure out how he graded on the other 723 plays. Um, Actually, I want to go to blocking first before we go to the depth of target. Um, And they've actually added a bunch of more context to the blocking, which is kind of neat. In fact, they've even got a stat here that I don't even fully understand. I have to ask for clarification on that, I guess. But... Um, not surprisingly, only one guy graded out well in run blocking. That was Mercedes Lewis. Again, not elite, but 74.1 is good. The other guys, um, I mean, you could go in order, but it's basically the same. Jace, 59. Josiah, 57. Dominique, 54. Tunyon, 53. And John Lovett, uh, 51. In pass blocking, John Lovett was number one at 73. Not that that matters. Uh, Mercedes Lewis had a 66.3. Uh, and then you got Dominique at 54, Tunyon at 53, Josiah at 52, Jace was a 24.6. So the only guy that's bad is Jace. None of them were really good pass blockers. Uh, Mercedes did step up as a run blocker. And again, the, the whole thing with Mercedes, and I'll go through this again because we probably have new listeners and not everybody remembers what I said 17 months ago about Mercedes Lewis when we picked him up or whatever. It's probably more months than that. But um, the issue is, look, if you go back to 2012, so from 20, 2008 to 2012, he was basically an elite run blocker. If we look at, so 2006 is his first year. He had a 67, 2007, 72, and then he kind of broke out. 86, 86, 86, 82, 84. Since then, we're, we're talking about 2013. And remember what I've said about guys who have 
names, right? We remember their names and we know what they're really good at and we never really actually adjust our understanding. Starting in 2013, here are his run blocking grades. 60, 59, 69, 53, 75, 59, 70, 72. Now, kudos to Mercedes as well as um, Matt LaFleur and the whole crew because this is his best two-year stretch since 2012. He's nowhere near as good as he was in that 2008 to 2012 stretch, but he hasn't had a a back-to-back good years in a long time. His pass blocking also started to dip from 2009 to 2016. He graded in the 70s. He was never super elite, basically from 2006 to 2016, like 10 years. It was in the 70s with the exception of one year. However, since then, starting in 2017, 68, his first year with Green Bay was a 49, which is his by far his worst ever. In fact, it was uh, one of his worst, it was his second worst run blocking year ever too. So his first year in Green Bay was horrific. Not surprisingly, that was uh, Mike McCarthy, not Matt LaFleur. But then a 71 and a, then a 66. So the pass blocking is starting to dip, right? Again, you had a consistent 70 for about 10 years. Since then, in the last four years, you got a 40, two 60s, and, a, and one low 70. And the, again, the run blocking has been good three out of the last four years, if you just don't count the Mike McCarthy era. But even that, it's not elite like it used to be. It's just good. But I think especially today in an era where none of the tight ends can block. I mean, they just cannot block. It's not in their DNA. They're, they're receivers. They're really tall, strong receivers. Mercedes still stands out, but it's, again, it's not like it used to be. He's not the same guy he was. I'm not pointing that out just to be a jerk. It's just, I think the perception of him is just wrong. And when I keep hearing things that are wrong constantly, it kind of annoys me a little bit. So I'm just going to say it just so we know. I'm not saying he's bad. Clearly the best blocker we have. Matt LaFleur loves him. He plays a big part of our offense. All that. I get it. Great. I just want everybody to understand that it's not, he's not still the Mercedes Lewis of 10 years ago. And I don't know if this is relevant, but I'm going to point it out. Um, it's kind of been interesting to look at offensive line, especially as far as college prospects, who would be a good fit. But um, they break it down into zone and gap and actually grade them based on zone and gap blocking. A lot of the college guys don't have the grades or whatever, but they do here for the Packers, which is awesome. I'm assuming a lot of you know what that is. For those that don't, I'm the exact wrong person to explain it to you. But just think about like the time when the offensive line shifts. You know, they start like moving to the right or to the left. That's zone blocking. Gap blocking is grab the guy in front of you and push him on the back of his head. I know that's not super accurate, but just in, it, it's shorthand, all right? Gap is just we're going to blast a massive hole that for somebody to run through. Um, but anyways, it's pretty consistent with the offensive linemen because the offensive line has done a certain thing, but the tight ends participate in different plays at different times. So this is actually quite interesting. The offensive line for the Packers, as we know, is heavily a zone offensive line. They do so. They do, do some gap blocking, but it's heavy zone. If we look at the tight ends, as far as what percentage of the time are they zone blocking, Robert Tunyon, 68% of the time, John Lovett, 66, Jace, 63, Dominique, 62, Mercedes, 58, Josiah DeGuara, 50. So it's interesting that the two big blocky guys, right, Josiah and Mercedes are are more in the, again, on the spectrum of blocking type guys, right? Josiah is the H-back. He's kind of a fullback, tight end hybrid. He's not really a down the field threat. He's more of a short area kind of, you know, he's going to be in motion a lot, very scheme heavy, right? A lot of the scheme is going to revolve around Josiah right? The movement and the misdirection and all that kind of stuff. That's part of the reason I really like him. But you got him and Mercedes who are doing more of the um, gap blocking than anybody else. And then you get Robert Tunyon, who's obviously very heavy in the receiving end of things, as well as being a very fast 
guy who's doing more zone and less of the gap blocking. If we look at the gap percentages, the, the you know, the power stuff, Mercedes Lewis 34.2% of the time. And no, it's not just the opposite of, of uh, zone blocking because I believe we're including uh, the receiving. So of, of all the snaps, how many times are you doing this? Mercedes Lewis 34, so about a third of the time he's on the field, he's just blasting guys, just playing power football. Josiah DeGuara, 28.6% of the time. Robert Tunyon, 19.8, so about 20. Jay Sternberger, 18.9. Dominique Daphne, 18.6. John Lovett was only 7.4. And then as far as deep passing, and I think if I look at them individually, which I'm not going to do because I think this is thorough enough, um, it would give a more thorough breakdown of receiving depth. But we're just going to do it as a group. Um, And it looks at passes beyond 20 yards. So Dominique Daphne, of his two targets, none of them were... uh, 20 yards down the field. Everybody else had at least one, including Josiah DeGuara, but he did not catch it. Uh, same with Mercedes Lewis. He had one target, didn't catch it. So Dominique Daphne, zero for zero. Mercedes, zero, uh, one, uh, zero of one. Josiah caught zero of one target. Jay Sternberger was targeted four times down the field and caught two of them, which maybe is, again, part of the frustration with him because the big plays are the ones that he kind of missed out on the most. He didn't drop a lot. In fact, technically, he dropped none of these. Both of these were credited to Aaron Rodgers missing him. And, and, and that's something else to remember about Jace. Rodgers did miss him a lot. There were several times, especially, I think, two years ago, where he was kind of running free, and it was looking like a big play, and either he just didn't throw to him or he missed him. But, uh, so that's 50% of the time uh, Jace caught his, his deeper targets for 50 yards total, 25 yards per reception, no touchdowns. Robert Tunyon obviously was a bigger deep threat. However, in terms of target percentage, it was relatively low. Josiah DeGuara, obviously 50% of the time he was targeted deep. Jace, 26.7% of the time. Robert Tunyon, only 15.5% of the time. Remember, he ran a ton of routes, a ton of routes. But he was targeted nine times, caught six of them for 186 yards and four touchdowns out of those nine targets and six receptions. Um, And as far as contested catches... Only one of them was considered a contested catch, and that was to Robert Tunyon. He was 0 for 1 on contested catches 20 yards down the field or more. Um, and then as far as their grades, uh, anytime you got deeper throws, the grades are going to be more. Because again, as I said, the grades are somewhat statistical. So the statistics are better, so the grades are going to be a little bit better. But Jace on uh, passes beyond 20 yards had a 90.4 grade, Robert Tunyon 96.5. Uh, the other two who didn't catch anything, 59.9 and 60. So I'm hoping that's a, a decent enough breakdown. It is a, it is a really good group it, it, in terms of diversity. It's really, really kind of cool. I'm, I'm, as, as you know, I'm a huge fan of Josiah DeGuara. I'm very excited because of what he can do for the scheme of this offense, the motion and all that kind of stuff. I've had questions about motion, and Josiah never gets mentioned. But that, that motion tight end kind of, kind of thing is, is big. Josiah did that a ton in college. Um, We've seen Matt LaFleur use that a lot, you know, coming across the formation, whether it's before the snap or after the snap, and just being kind of that slippery tight end that you have to account for. And it, it, it does a lot even in the run game. If you've got a, let's say you're on the left side of the line and you've got Josiah slipping out to the other side, running to the right side of the line, if the linebackers are curious or need to sneak in that direction to cover him and you run it to the left, you now have a linebacker out of position. And that's really going to help, especially you think about Tampa Bay and, well, we don't have the athletic kind of offensive lineman to reach the linebacker. Part of the problem with reaching linebackers is speed, but part of the problem is them just teeing off the second that you snap the ball. 
if you can get a linebacker to hesitate, you can get an offensive lineman up to him. And I think that the scheme that, you know, Shanahan and Matt LaFleur and those guys run is great at causing hesitation. And if you don't hesitate, you're out of position. That's where we're going to kill you because we're going to ha- we're going to send um, Josiah in motion and we're going to run the ball and we're going to send Josiah in motion and we're going to run the ball and we're going to send Josiah in motion and we're going to pass it to somebody else. And then one of those times we're just going to dump it to him. That's the thing. You know, it's coming eventually, you know, it's going to happen. So, you know, a million times he keeps motioning and we have to keep stutter stepping. We have to keep shifting in that direction. We have to keep moving over there. And if we don't, it's going to go to him automatically. Again, that's the whole thing with this offense. All these plays look the same. We've seen them run this a hundred times, but the amount of things that they can do with it. And then you factor in, if you have Josiah, for example, and remember, there's, I, I genuinely think there's going to be a lot of two running backs on the field. Think about what that can do. We can send Josiah to the other side. We can motion Aaron Jones out to the as, at wide receiver. What does that do to your brain as a young linebacker? Especially when you're looking at dead in the face of A.J. Dillon, who's staring right at you with a big smile on his face. That's it's a, that's a bad day at the office, isn't it? Your coach is out there trying to scream to you like, hey, dummy, your job, remember to do your job. And you're like, I don't know what it is anymore. I don't know what to do. Can I please go follow Aaron Jones? I don't want to be in the line of fire of A.J. Dillon. Can I please, please let me go walk out there and cover him? Go talk to the slot guy like, dude, go in the middle. I, coach just told me, you, you, you go over there. I got, I, got, uh, I got Aaron. That's a bad day at the office, man. You know, there's, there's that, the old adage that um, you want to get football players to stop thinking and start playing, right? As soon as they stop thinking, they're able to just react. What Matt LaFleur wants to do is make you think again. Because if you're thinking, you're hesitating. You're, you're spending time and energy processing. And so we want to put that intelligence to the test. And even if we can just get it to the point where you're guessing, that's great. Because you're going to guess right sometimes and you're going to guess wrong sometimes. And we're going to wait for you to guess wrong and we're going to kill you. And that's where Aaron, Aaron Rodgers is really, really um, awesome because he's unbelievably intelligent. He's, he's probably, no matter what game we're playing, he's probably the most intelligent person on the field when he's on the field. He also has the benefit of knowing what the play is. So he knows what keys he's looking for. If this guy moves that way, I go this way. If he goes over there, I go do this. If that safety does this, I do that. And when all the pieces are in place, it's a fun game. It's also why we need to be patient with a guy like Jordan Love. Because on one hand, you look at that Shanahan-type system and you say, it's really just about distributing the ball correctly and accurately to the right guy at the right time. But understanding who the right guy is, is you got to really take some time to get there because there's a lot to process. As soon as that, that play is called, you look at their alignment and you got to start crunching numbers. you got to start understanding scenarios like crazy. If it's this, we do this. If it's that, I do that. If he drops, I do this. If a billion different things, and you got to just react like that. And yet we look at Jordan Love and his 14 seconds of practice and say, this guy's a bum because he didn't start. Dude, shut up. Remember one of the jobs I had at, at Miller Park the one time? Um, they had a restaurant there called the 300 Club. It's changed the name now. I don't remember what it is, but sort of like their fancy restaurant. It was the worst job I ever had in my life. I hated it. I never want to work at a restaurant. I just, I'm not cut out for that. But they had to teach me how to fold napkins, right? Fold, uh, you know, the silverware and the napkins or whatever. Just that one task took me entirely too long to figure out. And if you think it's not that hard, reach out to Coach Hahn. I'm sure he'd be happy to put you through a couple scenarios. He'll bring you over to the whiteboard and say, okay, here's the situation. We got this, 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 this. Uh, here's our play. We're doing this. We're going to snap the ball and I'm going to, you know, he'll, he'll run you through a couple scenarios and see how, how up to snuff you are. 
And I know that's a little unfair because he's a quarterback, but it'll at least give you some perspective on how unbelievably impossible this is. It's why really, being a quarterback, intelligence really is very important. And that's not necessarily the case for every position. It is for every position to some degree, but the level of intelligence you need as a baseline just to get in, right? I mean, it's just, it's really incredible. And I think it really has a lot to do with the success of Aaron Rodgers is the fact that he's just got a memory and, and a mind that is, is kind of otherworldly, right? We know about his, how strong his memory is. You know, you talk about a certain play on a certain day from 2009, and he'll probably remember it. I mean, he's got an eidetic memory. But anyways, this is a good uh, spot to stop halfway. Again, I'm, I'm really lacking on the questions because I'm only getting through about one at a time, but please still keep them coming. Um, one of these days, we're going to power through a bunch of them, but I've really just gotten hung up on going in-depth on a lot of these questions. I do have a huge list, so don't think I'm, I'm just skipping yours. I'm just slowly working my way through them. Um, we're going to take a break, and I want to go through a couple different draft things, possibly some draft questions, depending on how long this takes. But as always, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can help support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. As I mentioned, I'm planning on doing a little bit of a relaunch, uh, probably starting about July 1st, because that's when I'm going to be moved in and have a new little office built and all that. Again, a lot of that will have to do with YouTube and whatnot, but um, I I think the biggest thing, it's kind of weird because I I, I don't want to say I don't take the podcast seriously. I absolutely do, obviously. I'm I'm extremely intense in what I do and all that stuff. But it's been very, you know, laid back and casual. And I've I've never really taken it that that step and saying, okay, listen, it's kind of like when when they say dress for the job you want, right? I'm sitting here every day talking about, you know, it'd be cool to be able to retire and do all that stuff and do this full time. If I really want that, I think I got to step it up a little bit. So I'm going to make some tweaks and some changes. Um, Special shout out to uh, Mr. Bruce Edmonds. I was able to talk with him on the phone and he really sparked a couple things in my mind uh, that kind of got me going down this path. But I think if I want to get from where I am to where I want to be, there's there's some things that have to get done. So I'm pretty excited about it. I'm extremely impatient. So the idea of waiting several months is killing me, but it gives me the opportunity to do things correctly. Um, You don't have to worry about there being massive changes. It's just it's, it's basically the same show, same guy, same stuff, just a little bit more. I don't know. It doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about it, but it's also going to cost a little bit of cash because <laughs> again, I want things done professionally. So uh, again, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy can support for as little dollar a month. The most important way that you can help the show is to spread the word. Invite people to the Facebook group if you don't have money or whatever. Um, if you know any Packer fans, just get them in the group and then we'll let the group do what the group does. And then finally, a five-star iTunes review or Stitcher review or whatever you can do is also greatly appreciated. We are up to 418 reviews. And again, the goal is 500 by the by week one of the NFL season. So I think we can do that. But let's take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. 
Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, I want to start off with something a little bit, uh, just kind of a fun thing or whatever. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. I want to start off by looking at the consensus big board and seeing who, as of today, is kind of within the range of the Green Bay Packers. Um, some of the guys that are kind of falling out of range, Christian Barmore is continuing to move his way up, although there was a little bit this past, uh, how many days is that? Two days or whatever. Uh, he went down a little bit, so he kind of peaked at 20th overall. He's sitting at 24th, but still, I would call that a little bit out of range and unlikely that he falls to the Packers. Again, a decent option. I'm not saying I'm madly in love with the guy, but again, if the goal is to get a really good defensive tackle, you got to swing early, which also is probably part of the reason he may go earlier than um, expected. Kind of a supply and demand thing, you know. Supply is very low, so the demand for that position is going to be kind of high. Um, Najee Harris is 25. Tevin Jenkins is at 26. So that is within striking distance. Um, I do think Tevin has a decent amount of questions. He was primarily a right tackle. So that works. Uh, 70% of the time he's a zone blocker. So that's in line with what the Packers do. I think the Packers are like high sixties or seventies or something like that. It's, it's high. It's, it's, uh, I think the Chicago bears are the only team that had higher, uh, rates of zone blocking than the Packers did. The biggest, I think, question for Tevin Jenkins is largely competition level and also scheme. The way that they run their offense, um, generally teams are kind of rushing three guys. So you've got not a ton of elite pass rushers and you've got like a lot of three-man rushes. So that's going to be something that you're going to have to really dig into the film on. Um, I also don't think he's necessarily seen as a super athletic tackle. So the Packers, you know, assuming they're looking for that, and I think they are, may not be the greatest fit in the world. But again, that's going to come down to the film, and I, I'm just looking at what I'm looking at here. I don't know. Uh, Zaven Collins, fan base is very split on him. Some people say he is the guy, no question. Some people are just don't want him. As I've said before, he um, it's unlikely the Packers take a linebacker, but if our defensive coordinator says, I need this guy to run my scheme, and Zayvon Collins is that guy, then there's almost no question he is the pick. But those two things have to happen. PFF um, made his NFL comp. They said, poor man's Brian Urlacher, which I guess is a compliment. I don't know. But uh, the, the one thing I just love about Zayvon, and I don't think his test numbers have come in yet, but 6'4", 260, and his coverage grade is, is fantastic. That's pretty impressive. Now, it's a smaller school, but still, the fact that he's considered a cover guy at that size is really impressive. Not the greatest tackler in the world, but um, I mean, it, it, it's it's just it's it's exciting because when you look at the ceiling for a guy like that, again, the the biggest issue with linebackers a lot of the times is they can only do one of two things: you get the six four two sixty guys that can smoke running back and get off blocks, and then you get the six foot two, two hundred and thirty two pound cover guy who can't get off a block or tackle to save their lives. Now Zavin does seem to have problems with tackling, but at six four two sixty. He can be coached into doing a lot of damage in the run game. 
And if he can also fly around the field, he's got an unbelievably high ceiling. Now, low floor, but also high ceiling. And we know how Packers love their projects. I mean, if you just look at this note here, freak of nature, size and length, you don't, uh, do not often see at off-ball linebacker. Edge rusher type skill set when blitzing. Running backs don't stand a chance. Even here, movement skills like an undersized linebacker. In other words, he moves like those 230-pound guys. So we'll see. Again, I'm, I'm leaning toward I really doubt it. But the, the biggest thing is what the defensive coordinator is going to say. Because when we hire a new guy, Gutekunst is going to want to go to him and say, what do you need to make this work? He's obviously got a lot of guys he's excited about and can work with. I mean, they wouldn't have hired him otherwise. But there's going to be that piece. And he is a linebacker's coach. That is his, his background. And, uh, you know, theoretically, the linebacker is going to be more important in his scheme than it was in Mike Pettin's scheme. So we'll, we'll have to see how that all materializes. It's not impossible. Um, at 29, a, a guy that is not often considered to be a pick for safety, but it would make sense because it's one of those things that we feel like we don't need. And um, we generally like to get very upset and disappointed in the Packers' first pick. I've hung my head the last two years in a row with uh, Rashawn Gary and with uh, uh, Jordan Love. I still remember I did a live stream and I buried my head in my hands prior to the Rashawn pick because I just knew it was going to be a bad pick and I didn't want to have one of those reaction videos where I'm angry and then they play it back and I'm, I'm like on a loop because Rashawn Gary ends up being a freak of, of nature. So I was like, just hide your face now, gather yourself after the pick and then come up and be like, it's fine, it'll be fine. Trayvon Morig would be that guy. Not because he's bad, but because we're going to look at that and say, why did you idiots draft a safety? And the, the national media is going to just lose their minds. You idiots have a great safety duo and you drafted a safety. Now, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not impossible. They may be looking at an, a, a, an eventual Amos replacement, which again, I thought, just give the guy an extension, but they didn't. They pushed money out and um, making Amos slightly less desirable. He's, he's expensive. Also, three safeties. But, you know, versatile player, um, actually led the nation in pass breakups each of the last two seasons, which is a pretty cool note. Also has that slot ability, so he's a safety that can play in the slot, which is which is kind of cool. And again, he's got that versatility, and it gives you that, uh, just w- when you get those three guys that you can rotate around, it, you can kind of do some cool stuff. You know, y- you've got the free safety, you know, whether there's one or two or however many, you've got the, the deep part of the field, you've got the box, and you've got the slot. And when you've got three different guys that you can rotate in those positions, and I don't know if you want Amos or Savage in the slot necessarily. Maybe Savage can do it. I don't know. But you can you can easily drop either of the other two guys in the box, any of the three guys really in the box, and you can have any of the three guys deep. So, I mean, you could theoretically bring Morig in as your slot corner that also has safety ability. So if there's only two wide receivers, you may see, you know, Savage in the box and Amos and Morig deep. You know, I, I, I'm just saying, you can do stuff like that. And the, and the point is, if the Packers drafted Morig, it's because our defensive coordinator is saying, I can do some really wicked stuff with that third safety. So that's just the thing we got to keep in mind if they do something like that. I'm not saying they will. I don't think they will. But rather than get disappointed, we got to understand that more than all these other guys that we think would be crucial, and the Packers probably think would be extremely beneficial, they said Morig is going to give us the best chance at getting better. So rather than looking at that was stupid, we should be saying, why is it this guy really gets the Packers jacked up? And that's regardless of the pick. I'm just preparing you for the inevitable, which is going to be a pick that you're going to scratch your head and say, you idiots, why are you doing this to me every time? Um, Kadarius Tony is sitting smack dab at 29, and I've mentioned, I think he is a very, very interesting pick. 
I really do. And, and, and as much as I look at Tony and I think, eh, he's, he's kind of, there's always like these big body guys that, that are like decent number twos or whatever, but not really. I think in my mind, I'm just thinking of um, the two guys with the Jaguars, DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault, which by the way, part of the reason they haven't broken out may have everything to do with their quarterback. We'll see what happens when Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback, how good LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark can be. Although DJ Chark, I don't know if Chark is exactly the same kind of guy. He's, you know, 198 pounds, runs a 4-3-4, but LaVisca Chenault is the big body um, yards after the catch kind of guy. But also remember, Kadarius Toney's a smaller guy. He's just extremely shifty. Also, he's kind of a big deep threat. And actually, yesterday, Florida had their pro day. It's not updated on this sheet here, but um, he ran a 4-4-1 and a 4-3-9. So again, we think about Kadarius, I think of Kadarius Tony as like this big sort of, you know, you line him up in the backfield and you can throw little screens and he'll plow, plow through people. No, dude, he's 5'11", 193. He ran a 4-3-9. He, he's not... And I, again, I'm kind of just talking to myself, but I'm assuming I'm not the only one. So for those of you that are thinking that he's a LaVisca Chenault of this class, he's not. Now he has that skill set, which is important to note because that's becoming incredibly popular. These these sort of, I'll say bigger, which I think is part of it, but these these sort of bigger guys that you you can put the ball in their hand and they can do some cool stuff. You know, A.J. Brown was the third highest graded wide receiver in football last year. That's the kind of guy I'm talking about. Now again, he's six foot two twenty six, but that's that's sort of the get the ball in his hand and he's going to go do some stuff after the after the catch. Kadarius Toney and his ability to make people miss is just stupid. He had 20 missed tackles forced. The only one that I can see here that I know for sure is in this draft class is Jalen Darden, who's a, another interesting prospect, but also plays for a very small school, unlike Kadarius Toney. But 20 missed tackles forced. 139.8 passer rating when targeted. You look at the notes on a rare ability with the ball in his hand. Some might say generational. I mean, that's just that's just fun, man. Especially for for an offense that likes to you know get the ball out quickly. You get a guy that can do that, but also is you know you throw a three yard pass and he's going to get you seven on average. I mean, that's just crazy. And again, he is a very good deep threat. And I think people forget that just because he's known for his yards after the catch ability. You think you drop it off to him three yards or behind the line of scrimmage and he makes magic happen, which is true. But imagine a guy that can make magic ha- magic happen that runs a 4-3-9. Also, a lot of people concerned about drops. They don't want a guy that has drops. He only has three drops in his 123 catchable passes. Catches with his hands, away from his body. I, I mean, he's he's a special kind of guy. And when you talk about a, a an offense that has a really fun, cool scheme and a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, a team that's looking for a deep threat but also could use him in a lot of fun ways, in motion, behind the line of scrimmage, in the slot, I mean, he would be a blast to watch in Green Bay. I would be unbelievably excited. Um, at 30, you've got Samuel Cosme. That's who I had the Packers drafting in my mock draft. I actually passed on Kadarius Tony and took Samuel Cosme because I felt that was the responsible thing to do because offensive line is becoming a bit of a problem. Now, the cool thing about Cosme is he is a little bit more of an athlete. At 6'6", 314, um, you do get a little bit of more of that versatility. It's a very pass-heavy offense, so he's got a ton of experience doing it. He grades out extremely well, so I really wouldn't be surprised at all if this ended up being the pick. He's not as high on the board, but again, for a team that likes a level of athleticism, I think Cosme makes a little bit more sense than some of the other guys. Um, you got Greg Newsom, which I think would make a good amount of sense from the standpoint of need to drafting a corner. Um, again, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I see way too many parallels to Kevin King. There's injury issues. Um, 
He's one of those guys that's kind of, you look at the the build and you say, I like his build, but you look at the play and I don't know that it's all that great. Very, very zone heavy, which I think most of college corners are. But, um, and again, that, that's kind of the defense I think we're moving to, but still there's questions of, can he do much beyond that? And if that's all you're looking for, fine, but you can find a lot of corners that can dominate in, in zone. It's nice to have a guy that has a little bit extra on top of that. So I'm just, I'm personally not a huge fan, but you know, what do I know? Jalen Mayfield at 32 is a a right tackle. That's all he is, so um, that would make a decent amount of sense, considering that's what we need. Mayfield, as you would probably expect, being a uh, you know Big Ten Michigan guy, is more about power. Now he does grade out better as a zone blocker than a gap blocker, but I mean he's a guy that's just going to smack you right in the mouth. He is athletic enough. I mean he he can handle it, but I mean that's that's what he's known for. I mean it's kind of like Corey Lindsley, I guess. It's not that he can't move necessarily, but that's not what you're drafting him for. He's going to pick you up and slam you on your head. Um, And also bull rushing Jalen Mayfield is, you know, I mean, you could try it, but (laughs) he's kind of of hoping you're going to do that. So, I mean, if you get a guy like that, it's it's kind of cool. Um, Again, I I don't think it's that he can't do it. He's he's certainly not very fast. I mean, he's 27th percentile in his 40. Not that that's exactly super indicative of athleticism for a, for a tackle. He's not really running in a straight line very much, but um, athletically, he doesn't, he's, he's, he's pretty low in all of the categories, but according to the film, at least as far as PFF is concerned, they say he is fairly nimble, but I tend to think that's nimble in terms of as a pass blocker. I don't know exactly about zone blocking, pulling, that kind of stuff, how well he'd be able to handle that, but um, I mean, that's what you're getting. You're getting a, a, a guy that's raw power. Um, 33, you got Travis Etienne. Don't think so. Jason Owe at 34. Very, very, uh, it, it is a possibility. I think it's similar to safety where a lot of people would look at it and say, we don't need that. We've got Preston, we got Zadarius, we got Rashawn, and you draft another edge rusher. That's silly. But Preston, I would say, is 100% done. Um, Zadarius, we'll see. I think Zadarius is in kind of Aaron Rodgers territory. He's becoming extremely expensive, and um, he has to now earn that. Like I said with Rodgers, when you make that much money and when you put that much weight on the cap, you put a target on your own back, and you're going to have to live up to that. If you can live up to it, fine, we'll pay you. If you can't, we won't. It's not just about are you good enough. It's are you good enough to be making as much money and causing as much havoc in our cap as you are. If not, we'll trade you and we'll bring somebody else in. So that may be if they draft a guy like that. And understand, always when they draft somebody, it's because they think it's the best option for the team. But it's also kind of pushing things in a certain direction. Now the target is, is amplified. Now we remove the equation of, yeah, but if we move on from those guys, we don't have anybody. Well, now we have somebody. And now we can move on if we want to. Uh, 35, Rondell Moore, still the most popular pick for the Packers at this point. Absolute freak of a human being, but much smaller than you would expect. I think he's much more limited than Kendarius Tony. He is a unbelievably blazing, fast, athletic slot guy. And he's probably just going to be in the slot, and he's mostly going to be targeted on short routes. He's a Randall Cobb. And if you want that, that's awesome. I don't know if the Packers want that. It seems like they really want a deep threat. The one guy that we've seen rumors that the Packers are into is a deep threat. Kadarius Toney is a deep threat. So if you had to choose between the two, I would say Kadarius makes a lot more sense than Rondale, but it's also, it's possible. Um, Terrace Marshall at 36, kind of uh, Kadarius Toney light. He's a bigger guy. He is somewhat of a deep threat, Uh, you know. Nick Bolton, Joseph Asai, you kind of go on and on and on. But that's that's kind of where we are as far as um, in that range right now, who are seen as the prospects kind of in range for the Packers. Now, the Packers historically have, have taken guys later than, than are expected. So 
some of the names. And again, I like all these guys. Alex Leatherwood at 39, I think, is a great pick. Wyatt Davis, unlikely because he's an internal guy, but it's a need. He's talented. It could happen. Asante Samuel, Liam Eikenberg, Creed Humphrey, Levi Nwuzurike, Landon Dickerson, Elijah Moore, Carlos Basham, Eric Stokes. I mean, all of these are possibilities. Dylan Raddens, Raidens, whatever. Uh, Javante Williams, probably not. Davion Nixon, probably, because I don't like the guy. They're probably going to draft him. Uh, Joe Tryon, uh, Tyson Campbell, Efedi Milfanwu, Richie Grant, Javon Holland, Elijah Moult. I mean, all Jabril Cox. I think Jabril Cox is, is underrated as a possibility. If they feel like they need to go linebacker, this guy is a true coverage linebacker in, in every sense in terms of where the NFL is headed as far as a guy that's not going to help you much as a run defender, but the guy can cover. I think Jabril's the man. Um, I mean, Ronnie Perkins, you just keep going. Uh, for a long time, Jamin Davis. Um, I'm on Ross St. Brown. He's at 67. I don't think that's impossible. I think uh, after that, I'm kind of skeptical about some of these guys. But I mean, and and the fun thing about this, especially this year, is I like the second round guys. So if they reach into the second round for once, I probably won't be disappointed. <laughs> but I'm sure they'll find a way. I'm, I'm preparing myself to really like as many prospects as I can so that I'm not disappointed. But um, they'll find a way to just make me think what what in the world right they'll they'll take a running back or something and i'm just gonna i don't know but anyways i'm gonna cut it there again keep the questions coming any and every way that you can support the podcast even if you just have some separate ideas about how to make the show better or things that we could do in the group that would be fun or whatever it doesn't matter what it is i'm in my own world with a billion different things going on just hit me with it i'm very you know out there in space and if you tell me something i'm gonna forget and all that stuff because again a billion things going on but just keep smacking me with it and eventually We'll, we'll get it done. But uh, you folks have yourselves a fantastic whatever day it is. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.